0: it's the bottom line podcast here on the blood red channel courtesy of the liverpool echo i'm guy clark welcome along as the reds begin their far east tour of thailand and singapore i'm joined by our business football writer dave powell to chat through the implications financially for the reds as well as taking on manchester united but what the tour means for the sponsorship dealings ahead of the new season getting underway dave i hope you're well and as i say the tour underway and one of those isn't it as soon as you see Liverpool touch down you realise just the glo- the global magnitude and scale of the football club we talk so often about the reach it has around the world but it's not really until you see all those people you realise actually just how big it all is
1: Oh it's it's enormous um, the, the pull of the, of the football club and, and the global reach that it has is it, it, there's only about three or four teams five maybe in in European football that can can match that kind of football fandom um that the reds enjoy over and it's not just asia it's you know in, in the us etc but um specifically in asia i think you know manchester united were, were one of the first to tap into that that market back in the late 1990s when they were um going out on on preseason tours and they saw the value in that and liverpool have have really made strides in that respect and and from from our boots on the ground with with Ian Doyle, I believe, and um, him speaking to some of the locals, he said that the uh, the pendulum has now swung the other way in terms of uh, Liverpool's direction, in terms of how popular they are in in Thailand. So i um, will be intrigued to see uh, how it how it pans out. Uh, obviously, the United game as, as we speak is happening just prior um, to, to this going out. So I'd be interested to see uh, to see how it all transpires.
0: It will certainly be interesting to see how, how it transpires. But obviously, our main focus with, with events kind of off the pitch, as you say, I'm sure a number of, of that support may well have swung the other way of the pendulum, the success the Reds have had on the pitch during the intervening years to which they've been out there. But it's been a while, hasn't it, since the Reds have actually had the chance to to get abroad and get out on one of these pre-season tours.
1: Yeah, it was the, the summer of 2019. I think they went to South Bend, uh, Boston and New York, as part of their preseason preparations for the for the nineteen twenty season. Obviously the pandemic has, has impacted the last two summers, I meaning it's it's stopped not just Liverpool but every every major football club from from going on preseason tours. And they've 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 become lucrative affairs pre season tours for football clubs. It's a way to engage with uh commercial partners, whether you know existing or potential and, and it's it's a way of also engaging with a fan base that doesn't get the chance to To visit Anfield or 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 come to games, I mean, and and they get to feel part of it physically. They get to kind of, you know, lay their eyeballs onto their heroes, um, you know, in the flesh. So it's these are valuable, valuable things. And and there's while Jurgen Klopp, I'm sure, has enjoyed the past couple of summers um, in terms of preparation, and they go to Evian, don't they? They go to Austria. They do smaller camps, and there'd be an element of that this season. Um, The the long haul. Um, trips to to the Far East, etc., aren't always the the favourites of, of football managers because they're so kind of labour intensive. They uh, they they're relentless. The players have if they're not training, um they are, they they you know, and you're on a time difference as well. If they're not training, they are making personal appearances. Um, there's huge teams go across on these so backroom teams, commercial staff, all sorts. Um, it, it, you know, it, it really is a huge operation. These, these preseason tours. Um, and while Klopp may, I'm sure, may would, would rather it be a bit more low key, and um, his, you know, their, their trips abroad be just just where they are going to, to kind of Germany and Austria. The for the club, it, it's vitally important that that these preseason tours are back, and and because they've they've had a couple of years away, um, they've had to come back with a bang.
0: It definitely, we saw that, didn't we? When they when they got to the airport and James Milner and young. Uh, James Milner and Jordan Henderson were were with Jurgen Klopp kind of speaking about their previous experiences of coming over and they are lucratively rich but equally as you say of of the, the fans being able to see the players in terms of the importance of them. Just how significant is it that, that Liverpool do go and do these these tours? Because obviously whilst they're out there, they're playing Manchester United, they're playing Crystal Palace in Singapore on Friday as well. There is a, a sporting element to it, which obviously feeds into to why the fans come and watch the games. But even the training sessions and things, you see just hordes and hordes of people there. And commercially, how much success can be driven from that?
1: There's a lot of commercial partners which Liverpool have. Um All over the globe you know asia particular part of that they've got a number of commercial partnerships with firms in asia and part of those commercial partnerships when they're signed a number of factors are written into them so you know visibility on a pre-season tour marketing appearances of players things like that so they are there are a number of boxes which the club also has to tick when they sign these these particular deals And obviously the pandemic there's nothing you can do to to get around that the fact that they couldn't travel uh, overseas and, and engaging them in the way they'd like, but um, some concessions would have had to be made. But now that things have opened up again, there is uh, an expectancy, um, an expectation, I suppose, from from these firms that the clubs, uh, the clubs, um, get out there and they kind of uh, in their money almost. They're uh, they pl- meetings are, are plentiful when they're out there discussing, you know. And, whether it's existing partnerships that they're discussing, you know, ways that they can do things differently moving forward. Um, the marketing appearances of players, that's why Liverpool take over um, a number of Liverpool legends. So this year I think there's it might be six or seven Liverpool legends who've gone over this year. Uh, Jason McAteer among them. I think Ian Rush, Luis Garcia, players like that, uh, or former players like that, because it's so, um, it's so intensive, the schedule, apparently that, um, it's impossible just to get the players just to be you know here there and everywhere. So, um, but these sponsors want a physical presence. They want to be able to see you know Liverpool in the flesh and their heroes etc. So the, you know these the legends have been a vital part of that. Uh, it, and also it's been important for Liverpool because they've got a number of huge um, commercial deals coming up for renewal. Um, the standard chartered front the shirt sponsorship ends at the end of the 2022-23 season. So this season coming, same for Expedia on the shirt sleeve. So there are deals, uh, major deals to be um, struck in the in the coming weeks and months. Um, but you know there were it would be you know undoubtedly there's conversations having uh, being had with with potential parties over there uh, over who may be interested in taking these slots. I mean I know that Liverpool don't have to announce. Their own front of shirt sponsorship until early first quarter of 2020, uh, 2023. so they've got some time. But I anticipate that that announcement will will arrive a lot sooner than that, and um, a lot sooner. So they're vitally important, and Liverpool um, have they've grown the brand since the last time we're out there as well. So you know the last time they're out there in twenty nineteen. They just won the Champions League, haven't they? They'd, um, but they've not had that Premier League title yet, and that success hadn't really been sustained. And since then, the the, the size of, of the club, the the pull, the reach, the they global branding as 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 rocketed even further. Um, and, and with Salah being signed to a new contract, you've got Darwin Nunes out there now. Everyone wants to wants a piece of the action with Darwin Nunes. Want to see what he's all about. Um, And then you've got Klopp's new deal. They go in there in a really great space. So it's a really, really good time for him to make some headway. And I think it's likely that they will take that position of of the dominant force in in Asia fairly soon off Manchester United if the regression continues at Old Trafford, which it has done because ultimately people want to be attached with success. So Liverpool being a a heavy presence out there um, certainly chimes with that.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I suppose, as you were saying there, I was going to come back and say, obviously, 2019, the tour was out to America. I think it's the first time they've been out to, to Asia since 2017, when Mohamed Salah had only just signed for the club, let alone gone on to, to have the exploits he's had even prior to signing that new contract. How How's it devised then that, that Liverpool go this time they go right. Okay, we'll go out to Asia. I mean, how much talk is there behind the scenes with other clubs of coordinating? Because last time, I think in 2019, when they were in America again, Manchester United were out there at the same time as well. Is it a kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge? Right, let's let's both head out to the same area uh, of the world together. Because as the two biggest players within the Premier League commercially, therefore all libels really are on on both clubs and both have a, a chance to be in the spotlight rather than one being in America and one being in Asia.
1: Um I'm I'm not too sure because United's last one I think was Australia. Um so I don't know whether it's just these have come around um fairly kind of you know, it's fairly coincidental, but um but for a first game back, it they will the both clubs will know that having a game like United Liverpool um especially with everything attached to it. So United have got Ten Hag in place now. Liverpool have got new players. This There's new dynamic uh, for, for both teams. So there'll be a lot of eyeballs on Manchester United and Liverpool. So I dare say it's one of the most marketable games that you could possibly have. Um, and, and two of the biggest teams in that region. So for them, they're probably thinking... Because uh, the TV rights over there are sold independently. So um, it's one of the very rare chances that Liverpool have to to kind of make more TV revenue on top of what they already get. So, um, the, and given the fact that it's screened on LFC TV, etc. I mean, the 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 rights was, are sold for a considerable amount. So, and United would be showing the game themselves in MUFC TV or MU TV, whatever it's called. Um, so, there'll be the potential for more rivals on those games and making it even more valuable is obviously there. But for the most part, I, I thought more teams this year um, would make a... Play to go to the US, but I think that that may happen. Um, I undoubtedly, I think Liverpool United are going to be going back to the US in the next um, two summers um, because the game is booming, the rights are booming over there. That the, you know, we just had a, a two billion pound Premier League TV deal inked in the past few months. You've got the World Cup in twenty twenty six. The dynamic is is very much shifting to to football becoming a major player over there. So I do think that that. In, uh, Liverpool and United have already got that, you know, they're firmly rooted in, in America in a way through ownership. Um, so I imagine more of that uh, over the next couple of summers. But this one certainly it was important that Liverpool went to Asia, I think, because they haven't been there since 2017. And the impact of the pandemic, it's important that you helped kind of massage some of those relationships and and make sure that they were, um, you know, firmly uh, rooting themselves in, in, in the psyche in, in Asia, I suppose, in terms of, being the biggest club uh, and making sure that Manchester United didn't kind of make any ground on them in that respect, because with that with the Nike deal as well, I and mean, we mentioned previously, I mean that's a thirty million per year guaranteed sum from Nike, but the real value is attached to uh, the number of units sold on Liverpool merchandise, which is about twenty percent, I think. So if you think about it, if if, if they're increasing their brand value in Asia and um, and their kind of supporter base, then that translates into more sales of of shirts, and and that in you know, a you know, ergo that means you know more money for Liverpool through their deal with with Nike.
0: Yeah, they got Ian Doyle running the streets of, of Bangkok waving the Liverpool flag, and everyone yeah. wants a piece of it. Yeah, Liverpool yeah, know...
1: might have something to say about that if it's Doyle. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. No, no, exactly where you're coming from with that but in terms of then Manchester United being out there at the same time as you say we're recording prior to to the game it's been dubbed the match I know Eric Ten Hag in his press conference was asked about it and the locals really wanting to see a a feisty encounter really is as close to what they would see in the Premier League we know that's not to be the case it's the first pre-season run out for both clubs but it is a huge attraction regardless of when it is in their preparations for the new season that these two teams meet out there and and I'm sure is probably the the only show in town today for the football loving public out there.
1: Yeah. I I think that um, there'll be an expectation given the fact that there's there's a lot of sponsors attached to this match as well. They've sold a lot of rights in terms of the sponsorship of the game. Um, Obviously the media rights. So there will be an expectation that there is an element of a a competitive nature and some, you know, you see the big names, which I think will happen. Um, But yeah, it's, it, the power of these two football clubs in terms of their branding overseas is 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 huge so this will be literally as you say it'll be the the only show in town it'll be the the hottest ticket in town And given the fact that um football fans in southeast asia have been starved of um having these kind of games for the past couple of years that only adds to the um the excitement around it because you know the um while well, the domestic leagues in in thailand and, and singapore have been continuing and they're not at the level of anywhere near the premier league and their heroes remain um remaining you know the, in the premier league you only have to have a look at uh tottenham to see how powerful um having individual players as brands can be i mean they're over in korea and you know with and it, you know the, with the song and, and, and the whole branding there is is enormous you know so i i, I find it intriguing um how the dynamic Kind of has changed. I mean, football clubs are usually led by, um, you know, where their where their brand is strongest, where they go because they want to make sure that they they kind of take the lion's share of the market. And, and kicking off with the game against United means that um, it, immediately all eyes are on them in Asia, and and I think that will be um, that will be something which is incredibly lucrative because uh, look, back I mean, Liverpool don't itemise their um, their preseason how much they make their revenues from pre-season in their accounts. Um, Manchester United do. So the last time that they included that was 2018, 19, maybe 2019, 20, um, when they went to Australia. And it was, I think they made just, just shy of 13 million. Um, with everything else back on board now, with I imagine the rights for this game have been sold. I, I imagine Liverpool, are, you know, they're probably clearing 10 million easily on this. So it's um, it's incredibly lucrative going out there. They're not just doing it for, a you know, a... Um, you know, just 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 an exhibition match. It's it's got real commercial value to these things, and um, having these these revenue streams back on board is 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 kind of manna from heaven uh, for the for those behind the scenes.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. How much equally, and, and like you say, it's not itemised in the accounts, and equally wouldn't be out for more and more months anyway, down the line. But in terms of kind of that lucrative nature of it and and showing off the brand, how big then is it as well that Liverpool have done their transfer business that we expect, or at least by and large, and the biggest acquisition in Darwin Nunez being on this tour and actually the first time he's seen as a Liverpool player, other than when he obviously put pen to paper on his move from Benfica, is when he gets out there to Asia and the fans get to see him for the first time. Training with his new teammates,
1: I think the I mean the interest would have been there whether you know from the Asian public whether or not Nunez was playing or not. But what it does is it creates another layer of intrigue from uh, not only fans back at home but those you know around the world, those in South America who want to see how Nunez is getting. So you all, all of a sudden you have a, a global audience um, of people just wanting you know tuning in for various reasons. So I expect um, LFC TV goes kind of subscription bases is, is kind of rocketed for this game in the past few days, um, it's going to be something which is, you know, commercial partners will latch on to. And, and, and also it'd be be interesting to see kind of the demographics of Liverpool. You know, the, the South American market is something which is ultimately eventually going to be quite lucrative for Liverpool, I think. Um, I mean, they've got Diaz, uh, his first full pre-season at Liverpool. So people are expecting big things from him. And then you've got Nunes, obviously, you know, so... I, and obviously, the, the the people like you know, Becker Beckham, Fabinho are already you know firmly rooted in uh, in the Liverpool firmament. So I, I do think that um, this will be one of the games for pre-season that attracts one. Of the, I think it's going to surely will attract one of the largest audiences we've ever seen for a pre-season game in terms of being watched online because there's so many different factors at play. I mean, it's. Uh, it's like a big melting pot of, of, of all different dynamics. You know, I mean, United fans are going to be, you know, for um, not only because it's their team, but it's Ten Hag, a new era, Liverpool fans, I want to see Nunes, and, and the same with fans around the world. I just think it's really intriguing. The way everything has aligned, I think, it you know, Liverpool and, and FSG will find this, you know, it's all kind of a, um, perfectly come together for them, ahead of what is kind of a triumphant return to, uh, to pre-season tours, which they're hoping will be, you know, n- not not disrupted for the uh, for the future
0: is it a case then, you mentioned right at the top, and we've spoken just about Ian Doyle a little bit on on the show, but in terms of him being out there in Thailand and seeing, as you say, the, the pendulum swinging certainly towards Liverpool, but financially and commercially, we know the giant that Manchester United are and have been. I mean, for Liverpool, how difficult is it for them to overcome that? And I suppose for FSG, is a case of, of reaping what they've sowed for many, many years because they've been doing these tours for a number of years and now they're at the height of their power. I suppose is, is is the point at which they can then capitalise on that and overtake the previous big players. United's
1: issue has been just the lack of success, which well you you can cope with one or two seasons of, of disappointment. This has been a decade of of kind of managed decline almost, hasn't it? And and that will rub off eventually. And not just it's almost going to be moving into a new generation of football fans who are picking you know the game up, um, not just the existing fans who'd already attached themselves to Manchester United you know long ago would. Um, this is about a different generation of fans who are coming through, and, and they won't want to be a, you know. They they'll want to follow the biggest teams with the best players who are achieving the most success. I mean, that's um, yeah, that that's the way it goes. I mean, I don't I don't support uh, if if I if I wasn't from Chester, I don't think I'd be supporting Chester. So it's um, it's one of those things where you are you know if you if you're if you're all miles away in Asia, then and you're going to want to watch the best teams and the best players and tune into that week in week out and become part of a. Uh, kind of a global family and su- supporter base. But for FSG, I think they'll find it easier to, to start to leverage those kind of, you know, pull on those leaders and, and, and make more money. I mean, United have already secured a few sponsorship deals this this summer. I think they've got DXC on the on the sleeves, uh, Tezos on the training gear, et cetera, or someone like that on the training gear. Um, all worth uh, uplifts on, on previous deals. Now, Liverpool... They're coming to the the table during this cycle a bit later than everyone else, but having more success than most. Um, So I expect them to be able to lift a lot of those deals up considerably um, in line with United or possibly surpassing United in some areas. And I imagine um, an increased presence in Asia and a stronger brand will mean that they'll be able to raise some some of the values of their partnerships in that region considerably as well. I mean, because ultimately they'll get a point where they'll become the hottest ticket in town for... For for big Asian business and wants to to kind of attach itself to Premier League football, um, there'll be a more attractive proposition than Manchester United in the, in the not too distant future, unless that's already happened.
0: Yeah, and it, it certainly feels like that, doesn't it? The capitalising on that success, but equally the innovation that Liverpool show on the pitch but off the pitch as well in how they go about these commercial deals you've already mentioned nike and kind of the units sold but the way in which they actually look to to really capitalize specifically on each deal not maybe always just go for the biggest number but play the long game on on deals
1: yeah and i think you know they could have had you know they could have of guaranteed sums greater than nike but again it's a longer term isn't it i mean that nike deal factors into a, a number of things yeah. LeBron James is their number one athlete. LeBron James is a one percent owner of, of FSG, a former stakeholder in Liverpool. And so all these things tie in um together. I mean, FSG invested in Spring Hill, LeBron James's um digital kind of media company, same Redbird Capital Partners are eleven percent owners of FSG, they invested in that. So all these things are there is a whole network of these things coming together. So the night deal made a lot of sense. So um but Liverpool tend to structure deals whereby there's there's value on both sides. They're also quite big on making sure that they have a, um, a kind of a community value as well. So a lot of partners now they're not just looking at um, where can we get boards around stadiums. are looking at various other aspects. How can we you know how can we help um, things like the LFC Foundation? How can we make some kind of you know difference to the to the local area etc. So all these things are factored in. So I think um, and Liverpool. Given, you know, we've we've seen recently there's been a spate of uh, sponsorship deals that have been taken up which haven't gone down particularly well. Um, in Liverpool's case, the NFT drop didn't probably got the reception that they were maybe expecting, which is why they didn't go so heavy into it. Um, but there was, I know Liverpool were talking to a number of um, potential industry firms from industries when they're looking at, Front of shirt sponsorship, I mean, Standard Chartered, but remaining uh, in the in play there. But they were talking to firms from travel industry, finance, um, and also kind of things like emerging technologies like blockchain and cryptocurrency. And obviously, that's what gets people a bit prickly about it. So I think Liverpool have to be more careful than most, don't they, in terms of how they um, they go about the sponsorships they in, enter into. Um, there's more of a you know an element of of being aware of of. The traditions and the thoughts and feelings of the people at the football club you you represent so that maybe narrows the scope somewhat for them but also in the flip side of that that some commercial partners see a lot more value in that type of relationship because it's more thoughtful uh, whereas you know we only seen in the past few days manchester city entered into a um, a partnership with a, a crypto firm a, a, an asian facing betting company with you know which is Registered in the Isle of Man and has a website which isn't live yet. All those type of things, you know. So Liverpool have always got to be slightly more um, careful about how they how they go about things
0: yeah no most definitely let's let's move away from the tour specifically though and and talk about other other things and just quickly i know it's a couple of weeks old now but we've not really spoken too much about Mohamed salah's contract i know we we very much were, were looking ahead to how liverpool could potentially structure a kind of deal to get it done last time we did have a bottom line podcast and uh, since then of course, the deal has been done. But that, again, just shows the, the innovation, creative ways in which Liverpool get these deals done. We understand what £350,000 a week is is, is is kind of basic pay. Then within that, the continued idea of incentivized contracts. So the fact that Liverpool don't overstretch unless they have that success coming in, which, again, you said before, it's all a network of things. The success then folds more into these tours and, and building profits in other areas of the globe. Absolutely.
1: I mean, the the most Salah contract is one. Um, I mean, without doubt, when they are, you know, they're they're going away from um, not entirely, but they they've they've had to break structure in in some respects to to make this happen. They couldn't just do it based on incentivised contracts, but they've managed to lean on that as as best they can. I mean, incentivised contracts are something which FSG quite not just FSG. I mean, US owners in particular quite like incentivised contracts because they are. Um, when you succeed, um, everyone else succeeds. So you know the team succeeds. so You get more more prize money. Everything's more lucrative. So you can meet those costs. Um, <clears throat> but FSG will know that with having Salah as as part of the team m- makes their chances of succeeding on the pitch far greater, which will undoubtedly bridge that gap between um, the extra money that they're paying in me. Mean- champions league success becomes uh you know more and it's only getting more and more valuable the champions league from from 2024 from uh when it undergoes a, a kind of the, the reform comes in the the swiss um the swiss model so all these things are only going to get more and more valuable so having someone like seller on board is is crucial because i think they probably realize that they would have to spend more than that to find a, a suitable replacement for him in the market and, and it's not good optics for some commercial partners who think you know you You've lost Mane, or you've lost Salah in the same window. I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't think they would have allowed Mane to go as willingly as they would have if they would have lost Salah, but um, as well. But yeah, there's they've managed to make it work at last, um, and, and we can finally put that one to bed. I mean, and there'd be a number of commercial aspects which they, you know, they're, they're quite happy about. I mean, he's he's the most prominent Muslim footballer on the planet, um, and that allows them and in into a, a huge uh, demographic of, of football fans and also commercial partners um, in, in those kind of territories. So all that's a welcome bonus. It, it won't have the same impact as the likes of, you know. It, there's only, I think, if, if you're looking at ch- truly changing the commercial dynamic of a, of a football club, you can only really sign um, Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, um, potentially Mbappe. The rest, um, you know, there's a, there's a layer beneath that. Um, which means they are, you know, they aren't as marketable. I'd say Haaland and, and Salah fall into that bracket, just underneath there. But, um, but for Liverpool, the overriding factor is the competitive edge he gives them, and how how much better it makes them, and, and the money that can be accrued from prize money. They have a greater chance of achieving with with Salah in the team. The commercial benefits are, are welcome, but they're not the um, they're not probably what's been the tipping point here
0: no definitely let's talk then about competition benefits and things like that and you mentioned the champions league the reform that's set to undergo and if only there was a league structure where they were guaranteed shed loads of cash that came in every single year that effectively became a closed shop that they couldn't not be in sorry and i'm not on about the champions league reform i'm on about dave the the european super league and uh, i suppose what what are we two years past or a year sorry Getting on to 15 months, are we past it? Yeah, it it kind of being man. launched and finally now kind of court proceedings seem to be happening. And, and, and what is happening there and, and what's likely, not the likely outcome, but what are we expecting? Because from my understanding last time I read, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus are, are still all expecting to play each other, aren't they? Um,
1: they know that uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid and Juventus know full well that the Super League doesn't happen without the buying of English football clubs it just doesn't they're not um individually as clubs they're very valuable they have huge marketing appeal but without English clubs English football is what drives the media revenues and you know forward really because that's that's where um, broadcasters see the value across across the globe so they know without English football clubs there's no super league but um what they're trying to do is make sure that road is clear for the future so um at a time when they can all reconvene um if they do and present something which is workable which fans can get on board with which will um which will appeal not this you know not the slapdash nonsense sort of a fiasco that we saw in um april of last year which was just dumped on a um, a web holding page which you know like a, a sixth former had done it um telling us all that the foundations of European football as we know it are about to be shaken to their very core. Um, That would be
0: generous to my sixth form work to be fair but I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) I was was adept
1: at clip art and sixth form. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, um, there are, um, so this is all about UEFA trying to protect their own interests. They know full well that um, their argument is that if you want to go and create a competition on your own, fine. But, you know, are not allowed to take part in our competitions so real madrid and juventus and barcelona argue that's against that's anti, you know that's against anti competition rules and it's unfair um they monopolize the, the football industry um so that's what the argument lies at really this isn't about um barcelona real madrid and juventus trying to recreate the super league and, and get everyone back on board that ship has sailed i mean um english clubs especially they they've stepped away from it now they realized how hostile the atmosphere was in in kind of response to to its launch, um, Liverpool have um, they've gone to the creation of a supporters board so that they, you know, supporters would have to give consent for anything like this to happen in the future again. But in the eyes of kind of Andrea Agnelli and Florentina Perez and Juan Laporta, they want what they want is um, a, a path of no obstru- obstruction uh, moving forward in the future so that if there is a time when this comes back to the table where they can find something workable. There isn't any um, any hoops for them to jump through. They can just go ahead and do it. But UEFA obviously um, are worried about that. That's part of the reason why they tried to head off um, some of that with the reformation of the Champions League. There's more money available for um, for the biggest clubs. Every, all the, there's extra games. The revenues rise, and there is extra places in there which were being discussed for. Historical performance, so there's a lot of that going on. Um, so, UEFA, I think they, I think they've probably done enough to, to head off that threat, really. But um, while you know, I don't think it doesn't take a genius to um, to see that Ignelli, Perez, and Laporte don't like taking no for an answer. I mean, they've effectively, you know, Barcelona and Real still remain the two biggest teams in the world in terms of their market value, etc. So, um, so there, there's an element of those two. They also need it a bit more than most. You kind of feel because it's you know they don't have the same revenues in in Serie A or La Liga, so you know there, there's the need is greater for them, um, less so from the Premier League. But uh, all they're trying to do is make sure that in the future they have a, a clear run at it, um, as and when, if if and when um, these teams reconvene and, and find a workable plan forward.
0: Uh, we'll have to wait and see how it does all play out. But that wraps us up for the latest edition of The Bottom Line here on the Blood Red channel. From myself, Guy Clark and Dave Powell, thanks for joining us. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.